Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome to a very special episode of the Bossed Up Podcast. This episode, 210, is in direct response to what's been happening with the coronavirus or COVID-19 more broadly in the United States here, especially over the past week or two. Last week, I was traveling throughout the course of the week, and the episodes that you heard last week were actually recorded a few weeks earlier. And sadly, during that time, we had to, among many other things, cancel Boss Up Boot Camp in San Francisco as a cautionary move to make sure that no one is spreading this super virus. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about all the different ways that you can remain prepared the precautions that you might want to take, and how you can also keep your anxiety at bay, right? Because it is a very scary and stressful time for everyone right now. Lots of mass disruption and rightfully so, right? We're going to hear from two emergency management experts who happen to be part of the Bossed Up community. Liz Russell, who you may have heard of before here on the podcast, is a Boss Up Bootcamp alum and a Boss Up Trainer Team member. She and her partner, Brad, who I'm lovingly dubbing Brad the Boon number two, <laughs> um, will be joining us as they are both emergency response experts and professionals and will be sharing with us some of what they're hearing on the ground and what they advise folks to do. Before we jump in, though, I want to make sure you know that here at Bossed Up, I am hosting this week and probably for the next few weeks, a series of panels, live online panels featuring multiple experts each that are designed to help you manage this very stressful time as it relates to your mental state, as it relates to your health and safety, as it relates to your career, to your money. I know there's a lot of stress going around because of all the repercussions, all the fallout that has to do with this crisis. And we here at Boss Up want to make sure that we are continuing to cultivate a sense of community because I truly believe courage is derived from community. And in this age and era, in this time when it is dangerous from a public health perspective to gather with community, I want to make sure that we're gathering virtually so that we can come together share our fears, right? Talk about the things that are are stressing us out and also hear from experts on strategies and coping mechanisms to help us weather this, uh, this, this scary and uncertain time together. So later today, Tuesday, March 17th, I'll be hosting a panel of experts talking about how to work from home without losing your sense of work-life balance. If you aren't able to catch it live, you can head to bossedup.org to catch the replay on our blog. Um, but we always recommend that you register in advance so you get sent the replay directly in your inbox in case you miss it. And tomorrow, Wednesday, March 18th, I'll be hosting a virtual panel with General Assembly Denver featuring 
featuring three of my favorite money mavens. You've heard them here before on the podcast, Maggie Germano, Chris Caruso, and Melanie Lockert of Dear Debt. They will be joining me to discuss how to manage your money in a time of crisis. On Thursday, we're having a panel all about staying calm amid the chaos, stress management strategies for just keeping your mental health in check, because I know a lot of us struggle with anxiety and just day-to-day stress that is so elevated right now. And then Friday, we're rounding out the week with a panel of experts on how to manage a remote team. So if you are a leader, if you are all of a sudden finding yourself like many of us working remotely and struggling to retain a sense of teamwork and community and pulling in the same direction with your teammates, this is a great opportunity to hear strategies on how to do just that. And I am more than open to hearing your thoughts on what other panels we might want to organize moving forward. My goal here at Bossed Up to really build a strong online community while we can't gather in person to provide an outlet for airing our stressors, sharing our strategies, and really coming together as a community to lift as we climb. I hope you'll join me live virtually throughout the course of the week. Um, It is so powerful to have your voice part of the conversation through chat, through our webinar software, Zoom, throughout the course of a live panel. So make sure to register now at bossedup.org. And I will also drop links to all those relevant panels that I mentioned in today's show notes so that you can register for those that speak to you. And I have to say thank you to our amazing team of trainers, experts across the country who have answered the call and really joined me on such short notice to provide this important forum for us to come together as a community and talk through how we're all going to get through this together. All right, let's jump into today's interview. Joining me on the line is Liz Russell, who has 10 years of experience in emergency and disaster management and has worked through 10 federally declared disasters, including Superstorm Sandy. As I mentioned, she's a Boss Up Bootcamp alum and a member of the Boss Up Trainer team, and we're so delighted to have her on board. When I reached out to Liz about this interview, she said, hey, I'd love to do it, and my partner, Brad, might make for a great addition as well. So I'm delighted to have him on the line as well today. Brad Marmon is currently working as an emergency management professional for a large healthcare network in New York. He has 10 years of experience in emergency management and business continuity across several industries. Brad and Liz, welcome to the Boss Up Podcast. Absolutely happy to provide any information we can and chat with you. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is great. Yeah, my pleasure. I this is a first for the Bust Up Podcast. Having a, a emergency management couple on is delightful on, on many levels. Give our listeners a little bit of background in terms of Liz, your experience in disaster management, and Brad, your work in healthcare and emergency management. We'd love to know a little bit about the differences and the perspectives that you'll bring today. Sure, absolutely. I hop in first. So I've been in the disaster management industry for the past 10 years or so. I frequently get asked how one gets into this industry in the first place, and I actually went to school for it. So I did my master's in emergency management and have been working at it ever since. I've worked about 10 disasters in a couple different states, mostly focused on things like hurricanes and floods, natural disasters that occur um, that the government responds to. So I've been working in this realm for a while. I'm not responding to this particular disaster, but I have a lot of experience in preparing for them and seeing kind of how people react to them and whatnot. Awesome. And you're a friend of Bossed Up, right? You're a Bossed Up Bootcamp alum, a trainer team member. Yeah. 
So we're delighted to have you in the community and thanks for jumping in on this. Happy to. And welcome Brad the Boo number two, our second Brad boyfriend slash partner on the pod. We're delighted to have you here, Brad. All right. Thank you. Yeah, this is great. So my experience is going to be currently, I'm actually finishing a master's of public health with a concentration in biosecurity and disaster preparedness. Um, so before that, much like most emergency management people, um, I have some fire service and EMS experience. And on top of that, I also went to, to undergrad for emergency management and have built up a little bit of a career with 10 years of experience doing that for many different sectors, including uh, the energy services industry, uh, human services, and most recently, healthcare. So where Liz comes in with a lot of the, uh, perhaps the training side and the recovery side, I'm more focused on the preparedness, planning, and actual response mm -hmm. uh, of emergency management. So kind of a little bit more in the field, kind of making decisions in real time, which are having a pretty uh, high level strategic impact on what we see going on when we uh, have hurricanes, natural disasters, or in our current situation, an outbreak. So Brad, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing now, because you're in healthcare right now, right? You've been working on the COVID-19 situation for a little while. Can you tell us what the status of your involvement is and what you've been seeing on the ground? Sure. So kind of before we started going down the path we're at right now, you know, my office was very much involved in monitoring the situation. So typically in emergency management preparedness side, uh, we are what you would refer to as the watch center for, for you know, the hospital and all of our healthcare network. So we were monitoring this pretty closely, having conversations with folks that we needed to know. We were kind of giving high level briefings as to, you know, what we thought was going to happen and, you know, projecting some models mm -hmm. as to what that would look like, you know, when it eventually made it to the United States, there really was no question that it would eventually expand. From that point on, we started to having very serious conversations about what that looks like for us and how we're going to increase our capacity. So fast forward a little bit. When we started seeing cases in the United States, um, we definitely had to ramp up our response. You know, we started activating hospital response plans, activating our incident command structure, talking about what were the clinical symptoms of this outbreak? How were we going to manage these patients essentially from being alerted by public health that we had had cases and how they were going to present to our facility and then exactly what our facility was going to do. So, you know, some, some big things we have to think about are uh, hospital capacity, right? There's only so many beds in, in hospitals. You know, our healthcare infrastructure is, is very strong but it's built on average volume. It's not meant for surge volume. And that's something that we do struggle with in this country and globally, frankly, that it's, it's not something that's very easy to manage uh, very quickly. Right. So one of my overarching questions for you both, really, based on your experience in the field and what you see happening these days is, 
besides the actual crisis itself, right, besides the health component to this, there's also just the social panic that I see happening that, frankly, I experienced earlier last week when I was reading headlines from my hotel room bed in Toronto for my last speaking gig for a while because everything has since been canceled for the next two months. And I was thinking, oh, my God, these headlines are inducing pretty much like terror within me, a rational I like to think of myself as a pretty rational and intelligent person, and I was feeling really scared. So in the midst of all this, as people are stocking up on toilet paper, right, and trying to gain a semblance of control over something we have very little control over, how do you think we as the public should be dealing with the panic as opposed to the illness itself? Like, how does that relate to emergency management? Yeah, that's a really great question. And, you know, of course, we've seen the same things you you have, you know, with empty store shelves and sort of constant pictures on social media about it. And I kind of have two things that I like to share with anybody who is talking to me about it or asking me. Um, and that is, you know, first to help to start by sorting out the noise and sorting out the speculation. When we receive information, um, it is almost always filtered through somebody's lens and there's almost always some stuff added to it. And a lot of that, I won't say is harmful, but it just might not be appropriate for your situation. And so, for example, one of the things that a lot of people have asked me about is toilet paper, of course. You know, why are people getting toilet paper and should I get toilet paper because everyone else is? And <laughs> yeah. the conversation is, you know, well, do you need toilet paper and do you feel you will need toilet paper in the near future and won't be able to get it? And that, maybe that's not the best example. Um, no, but I see like you're saying like personal need, like what's your personal yes, risk Yes, yeah. Right? And, and with that, what happens is we hear about these pieces of speculation, or we sort of extrapolate about what we're hearing to bigger meaning that causes more hysteria than is is kind of necessary, or at least is useful. I mean, it's important to be aware of what's going on, but at the same time, um, only so much of it will apply to you and only so much of it is stuff that we can reasonably count on. A really good example that we've been hearing is, I had a friend text me who said, oh my God, I am so worried about losing power. And I was like, oh, why? You know, that's a, that's not something I had heard many people being worried about. And she said, well, I'm so worried that people are going to get too sick to run the power plants. And it was really interesting because it's like, well, you know, there's no evidence that that's happening right now. Um, But also, if it does happen, it will be much like losing power for any other purpose. You lose power in storms and things like that. So concentrate on that piece, you know, losing power and how you would, Mm. what you would need, how you would act to losing power. And don't worry about the speculation behind why you might lose power. Don't worry about this idea that people are so sick that we're losing power. Because when you talk about it like that, it feels quite apocalyptic. It feels like, oh my God, everyone is so sick that they can't be out. So really focusing on cutting out the speculation piece of what you think might happen and focusing on what you need specifically and where you are is something that can be very, very helpful. Also listening very carefully to the news for that speculation. So when someone says something that is really opinion-based and not factual, 
make sure you're understanding that that is opinion, you know, based on the terminology that Mm. they've used. Make sure you understand that it might be a prediction and not the way it is. One of the other aspects of dealing with panic, in my opinion, is really planning for outcomes. So yeah, take something like the NBA being canceled. How does it affect you specifically? What outcomes do you Mm -hmm. need to mitigate related to your life? If you had tickets to that game, sure, you might be inconvenienced. You might not be able to go. It might be upsetting. But try not to focus so much on because it was canceled, that must mean the world is ending or something like that. Focus on how it affects you and what that means. I think hysteria is the word you used early early on in this interview. And that's a good word for it because seeing this mass disruption can feel very apocalyptic, can feel hysteria inducing. Brad, I wonder what you think about the idea that people should be taking precautions, right? We don't want people to be too cavalier about this. So even if you're at a low risk personally to being ill in this situation, your actions have broader social ramifications for public health. So I wonder what your thoughts are on encouraging people to take precautions despite not feeling like they're personally at risk too much. Right. So it's been pretty interesting to see as this outbreak has progressed, we've learned more and more about what it actually does and, and what it actually is. And that's going to be a normal course with any type of emerging infectious disease. And, and just as a note, you know, emerging infectious diseases are here and they're here to stay. It seems that every three to four years, we have some new virus that impacts our population. And there's a lot of factors that go into that. Humans are increasingly moving into spaces across the world that we've never been in, especially in some developing countries. This is especially true. And we're coming into contacts with species that we've never contacted before. So that's where we get these different types of viruses that mutate, that become transmissible from person to person. So when we think about that, you know, with this outbreak specifically, we've seen through evidence that it impacts a certain population. So you may not be in that risk group of being of a a certain older age or having an underlying respiratory illness. Those are going to be our most vulnerable populations to this specific virus. But You have to understand, even if you're not vulnerable, if you are going to social events in the community, say, you know, religious gatherings, Uh, some people go to church and, and you may not be in that high vulnerability group, but you go to a function like that and you are surrounded by folks who are of that high vulnerability. And so, you know, your immune system would be very effective in in fighting off this disease, but theirs may not. And so I think we need to be very intelligent about the things we go to and just recognize that, you know, I I think to your point, it's, it's not that we are at risk being in a certain population, but our effect that we can have and the effect on community spread that we can have as an individual and and how that relates um, to the outbreak as a whole. Right. 
Yeah, that chart that was going around everywhere last week, I saw it on Twitter like a million times about flattening the curve. I'll post a link to it in the show notes if you happen to miss it. But that really made a compelling case to me about how social distancing, washing our hands very thoroughly, taking precautions, even if we're not at super high risk, can be really helpful in reducing the massive reach of something like this super virus. It's really, really, really important to understand that the measures that are being taken are in the best interest of the situation. And it feels like the world is ending in some ways, but the goal is actually to prevent the world from ending. It's really quite this beautiful thing that's going on where everyone is saying, look, it's not worth the money and it's not worth being in a spot where we could be spreading this. And that's actually a really great thing. So even though it feels like all of this is in response to something, it's really the start of something. And and it's really quite hopeful in that sense. And I, I hope people do understand that. You know, the goal is hopefully in, in four to six weeks or two to four weeks that we're going to be like, hey, that doesn't seem like it was a big deal. That means that this has worked. Right. And that's really important to keep in mind. I think that's important and optimistic and beautiful in a way, like the idea that everyone's just like, in order to prevent this from being a huge problem, we're all going to disrupt our lives. And at the same time, that disruption is in itself extremely harmful for so many people. I know myself as a small business owner who's income is reliant on events. I had my own little panic attack last week. And for me, when I'm freaking out, that means I'm completely off social media because I am not a public freak out kind of person. And so it just took me a couple of days to say, okay, this is our new normal. We have to pivot. We have to respond. We have to accept that the plans we had are not going to happen. And I need to find a way to make sure to make payroll in the short term. And I know for anyone in the gig economy and a lot of our listeners a lot of our members of the Bossed Up Courage community are freaking out for the financial fallout, not just the health possible fallouts. You know what I mean? So it's a hard, it's a hard sacrifice to make, but it's an, it sounds like it's an important one. And so I sort of wonder, there's so much anxiety going around, financial anxiety, health anxiety, and, you know, news induced anxiety. I wonder how we can balance remaining calm, right? Trying to not overreact and not froth ourselves into hysteria versus being really prepared. Brad, what do you think about that? Yeah. So when I think about this and and of course, being in preparedness, I'm, I'm exposed to this all the time. Government agencies will put out, you know, little preparedness tips that folks can take ahead of time. And, and those yeah. are nice. And it gives people something to start with. But, you know, I really think when you're living your life, I think it's always nice to take a step back once in a while before a disaster happens and think about how you can build some resiliency and capacity in your own life. So, when we think about alternate working arrangements, you know, for the next two weeks, the workplace is going to be an extremely different place than we're all used to. You know, we have people who are yes. teleworking. We're going to have some challenges with childcare, you know, for possibly parents who depend on daycare and school while they have to go to work to provide income. 
you know, for the family. So what type of alternate arrangements can you make ahead of time? Understandably, not everyone has the capacity to do that. But also some just little things you can do, you know, like a a family communication plan. You know, let's talk about other disasters for a moment. The natural disasters, the tornadoes and the hurricanes and, and things that really have a big impact on our infrastructure. You know, what's our communication plan? How are we going to talk to the rest of our family if our regional location is destroyed by disaster and we can't use the typical means of communication that we've had? I think some anxiety in those situations is paper documents, something as simple as that, you know, making copies of your birth certificate or or social security cards or, or important things like that. This reminds me of a conversation that my Brad and I have often, which is what is our zombie apocalypse plan? Right. I, and like, I know. honestly, it's it brings a little levity to what you're talking about, which is like coming up with a go bag or a go plan. Yeah. And obviously the zombie apocalypse seems less likely than the actual many forms of potential apocalyptic scenarios that seem much more real now. But I hear I hear what you're saying, which is like, come up with a plan and it'll make you feel more prepared. Is that it? Right. And so, you know, I guess the message is, you know, being prepared should bring you that sense of calm that we're right. looking for, because you can take a step back and you, and you can say, hey, we thought about this. We are prepared for this. This is something we have thought about. Is everyone's plan going to be perfect? No. Is there going to be some gaps? Sure. But quite frankly, I would rather manage a few gaps in our plan than have to try and come up with a plan when it's already here, mm-hmm. right? And, there, and there's no capacity to do that. I suspect that a number of people listening will think, well, that's great, but now I'm already here and I don't have that plan you're talking about. And I think there's a few things that we can say to that as well. One, and I think you kind of call this naming your fear, Emily, but also for me, it's taking stock of those fears or those concerns. Um, if this weren't going on, what would you need in the next two weeks? Would you need to go grocery shopping once? Would you need to go grocery shopping twice? Okay, how can you do that sooner so that if you can't go grocery shopping in those next two weeks, you know, you have what you need? What is absolutely pertinent? What is less pertinent? What actually puts you at risk versus what is upsetting and frustrating but can be dealt with? Right. Like making sure you've got medication on hand. Like it's not too late to take these actions by any means. Oh, not at all. And part of it it isn't even those type of actions as much as some of it is actually just a little bit of a mental health exercise. You know, think of something like your kids staying home from school. Focus on what parts of that are really painful and try not to worry too much about the parts that are less painful. I'm seeing a lot of like joking memes about, oh my God, we're going to stay home with our kids for the next two weeks. And, you know, there's pictures (laughs) of tequila or whatever. And, you know, those are hilarious. And I, as a parent, I, or as someone who's not a parent, I guess I can't relate a ton, but (laughs) out of all of this, like spending time with your children is probably the least thing to actually be worried about. So if it's concerning to you, you know, name it, take the time to talk about it or do what you need to do to deal with that anxiety. But then try to focus on the things that, actually could be really, really important. The food, the medicine, anything that you feel actually does need to be addressed in a time frame that that has limits. Yeah. As I say, with that, you know, a lot of it does also come into having some faith in yourself. Um, mm. You know, at Boss Up, we do the Wonder Woman stance. If you have to do that stance 
every day, every morning when you get out of bed dealing with this virus, do it because this is where the rubber meets the road on that. The things you will do to survive and function are incredible. Yeah. One time I actually got attacked in a parking garage. It's kind of a story, but I, it was raining outside. I got into the parking garage. I put my umbrella down and I immediately had these two kids, literally kids, try and grab my purse. And I fought back immediately uh, with no, no reaction. And um, the reason I tell that story is this is not something I ever planned for. This is not something I ever thought of happening. When I walked into that garage, I was not looking around every corner. But you're, you will do things that you need to do to get through, um, whether it be physically, emotionally. And this is where you can practice that. So even though it feels really, really, really stressful, you know, have faith. And, you know, when you wake up, say, I've got this and know that you've got this and focus on what you can control and try not to let the things you can't control get at that, eat at that. I honestly find that physical activity really helps maintain that sense of faith in your abilities because, you know, during a very stressful time, it it becomes very tempting to stay glued to the TV, to feel like you have to be on call, you have to be ready for anything. But taking a 20 minute run or just like doing push-ups while you watch the craziness unfold on TV can make you feel a little bit stronger, a little more prepared, a little bit more ready to to do what you need to do to survive. (laughs) And not to mention it's the fastest way to, to, you know, break down stress and, and relieve the physiological symptoms of stress from your body. I like that. I think, Brad, you mentioned building resiliency as a concept is really, really important. And I want to think about not just what we can do individually, but how we build resiliency as communities. Because there's no doubt about it that there are many members of our community who are much higher risk, who are in much more precarious and vulnerable positions than others. So what does it look like, especially from your perspective in emergency management, to think through like how we communally build resiliency? What is the role of government here? What is the role of local municipalities? What is the role of neighbor to neighbor support? And and how can we be mindful of that as we manage our own anxiety while thinking also of our neighbors and our and our fellow, you know, men and women and everyone in between in this country? Sure. Kind of a big question, but Brad, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I'll break it down by sector, I, I suppose. You know, I, I think certainly, you know, our government does play some role in this. And, and I think, obviously, building resiliency into our governing structure, you know, that that's something that goes on. Uh, they call that uh, continuity of government. You know, that's something that is really, they do this all the time and they drill it and they talk about orders of succession and, and what's going to happen and how do we maintain our government system. So that's out there. But maybe a bigger part, I think, is, you know, some of the agencies providing guidance and funding for our research into the science behind these disasters. You know, <laughs> disasters can be extremely unpredictable, but there is a little bit of science behind them. You know, we can do things to understand exactly what's going to happen, you know, and why some of these things happen. And and of course, that's going to give us information to build our our capacity and and resiliency. If, If we know what's coming, and we understand, you know, how to get ahead of these things and, and act in a preventative matter instead of trying to react all the time. And I guess when I think about businesses 
and you mentioned, uh, you know, as a small business owner, this, this time can be tough, you know, for a lot of people. I think businesses should really do the same thing as, as far as thinking yeah. ahead about some of this. If we have to implement a social distance plan, what does telework look like for our business? You know, what functions can we put online? How can we manage the things we have to do in a different manner? And do we all have to be in the office? Do we all have to be in a conference room? you know, and, and make those plans really ahead of time. And for bigger businesses, you know, I think it's important that they identify an incident management team ahead. And, and this is something that healthcare does really well, mostly because they're probably one of the most regulated sectors of all, as they probably should be. These are authorized people who can make decisions quickly outside of the normal operating structure. This is not something where we can build guidance and send it to committee and then have a bunch of people do it, you know, review it and, and make comments. This is something that's happening now. We have an <laughs> outbreak that's, right. that's happening and we have to act in real time. And I think a lot of businesses struggle with that. Because it is, you know, you're, you're basically picking up your normal operations, moving them to the side and saying, nope, we have to do everything different now. So you have to reorient yourself to that. And one final thing for our community is I never want to forget our nonprofits that are out there that really do a great job of filling that gap of vulnerability between public and private sector with all the school closings and things that are, you know, probably coming within the next couple of weeks, I think we have to remember that there's some underserved communities that um, there may be families that their children depend on school for their lunches, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of nonprofits out there that are ready to come forward and, and step up and uh, do something to manage that situation. And I know here locally, there's two of them that have already stepped up and it's, it's really positive to see. And I would encourage anyone out there to go volunteer and, and be part of that. And that's how we can help our neighbor is be involved in that process. Totally. Liz, did you want to add anything to that? Yeah, I, I agree with everything Brad put forward. And I, I think I'd just add that I think everyone's job is to be really good at communicating. If you are a government, it's your job to communicate well about what is going on and how you're serving your populations, any impacts to them. Um, and as Brad mentioned, you know, there's science on how disasters work and how pandemics work, but there's also science on how people work. And so knowing and understanding people and how to best communicate risk is something that's being discussed a lot in the industry. I know FEMA's doing it a lot. How do we communicate to people what a hundred year floodplain means versus a 500 year floodplain? How do we communicate risk? And I think that's true of businesses too, communicating to the people who shop with you or who are impacted by your services, making sure that you are being clear on how you are going to mitigate those impacts or, or you know, how long you're shutting down for or anything like that. And then as individuals, communicating what you need and or how you can help. People can't provide you with the help you need if they don't know about it. And also, People can't volunteer for spots they don't know to volunteer for, so on and so forth. So just being very clear and effective communicators, I think, can be everybody's job in this time. And communicating in a way that is not hysterical, that's quite factual and specific, 
um, will allow everybody to really, I think, uh, speak well to one another and, and be clear. I've seen folks on social media saying, like, let me know if anyone in this area needs groceries because I am happy to, you know, go out and shop for the elderly or the infirm who can't shop for themselves and, you know, take all kinds of health precautions to do that. You know, that kind of neighbor to neighbor outreach, I think, can make such a big difference in just connecting resources to need. But it takes grassroots organizing. It takes communicating. I think this is where social media can be used for the better right? This is where social media can really shine. Um, and this is also where it's important to stay tuned into local media. It's tempting to keep the national news on all the time, which in my opinion is the least helpful, <laughs> least helpful news. I'm a big fan of the newspaper whenever possible, but, you know, listening to my local NPR station helps me keep up with what's the mayor's response here. What's the municipality's response here? Because on the local level, government is mercifully acting fast, like you mentioned, Brad, like I'm seeing finally some faster moving decisions and opportunities for support from small business owners getting interest-free emergency loans to the business community helping out in their neighborhood to nonprofits to providing free school lunches delivered at home. So, you know, I think your your points are well taken, both of you, making your needs known and seeking out support when needed. That is how we're going to get through this. And we will get through it, right? It's not going to last forever. <laughs> like there is some sort of end in the light at the end of this tunnel, right? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. <laughs> That's good to hear. Yeah. The feelings that everyone's feeling right now, you know, the way people feel right before a hurricane, this is, you know, how people feel when the flood is rising in their communities. So, you know, know that people do survive this, know that people do go through this and, and that there will be a light at the end of the tunnel. And like I said, kind of in the beginning, hopefully it'll feel like a lot of this was sort of unnecessary because it was stopped in its tracks or at least stopped before it got, you know, really, really bad. Yeah. I'll also add to the communication piece. You know, this is also a good time to self-regulate what you're putting out there and what you're sharing. So not only should you communicate well about what you need, but also maybe be a little more mindful about the comments you're making or the things that you're clicking share on without reading into them. Cause that is, you know, how things, um, fake news, confusion over services and stuff like that can help. So, mm. you know, it's about both communicating well, and also, you know, being mindful of, of some of the uh, communications you're making. And just being kind to one another, right? I saw, you like, there's this weird backlash happening. First, it was like, how dare you travel? There was this like very patronizing narrative that I saw on social media last week about chastising people who were being cavalier. And then there were the cavalier people who were chastising the people in the airport for wearing masks and gloves and being overly precautious. And it's like, we have no idea who has an immunodeficiency situation and who doesn't. Like, let's be kind to one another. Let's not judge unnecessarily. And let's just... I think, proceed with a little more empathy for one another because we don't really know who's dealing with what at home right now. And so, yeah, I think being prepared, being respectful, being mindful, being a good communicator, but just being kind is so key right now. Um, and in, on that note, thank you both for your kind willingness <laughs> to jump in here on short notice and share your insights and expertise and I'm feeling more prepared already, just having heard from both of you. So thank you so much. Oh, good. Glad. We're glad to help. Yeah, thank you. This was great. <laughs> 
Brad and Liz, any last words of guidance for our listeners or resources that you would point them to for more information? Well, I, I would just say, I, you know, I think this is a great opportunity to embrace the outdoors. You know, you had mentioned it a little earlier. Uh, talk about yeah. social distancing. No matter where you are, there's trails and hikes and all sorts of different things we can do that are naturally social distancing. So if you have some time off, this is a, a perfect opportunity for to rediscover nature, if you will. I love that advice. That is so Colorado. <laughs> I love that so much. Excellent. Liz, any last words or guidance from you? Um, no, I think stay tuned to your local news. You know, things like the Nextdoor app could be a great place to find community-based information. Mm. And otherwise, you know, stick together. Be mindful that people are probably feeling very different about this. And, um, you know, this is a chance to build community and to rely on your community. And it has a chance to be a beautiful thing despite some of the downsides. So, you know, stay tuned, stay in it. Don't tune out. And, um, you know, we'll get through it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Emily. Thanks again to Liz and Brad for joining me for today's important discussion. I want to hear from you. We're not going to close out today's show with the usual boss move of the week because instead I really want to hear from you. I want to hear how you are handling the uncertainty. What is one tip, strategy, tactic that we didn't cover today that you want to share with the rest of the listening community here at Bossed Up? We want to remain as responsive as possible and I want to continue to make your voices heard as we come together as a community. Community. It's now more than ever so important to make your voice heard and share your thoughts, well wishes, strategies for managing through the uncertainty with the rest of the Bossed Up listenership. So whether you weigh in via the Courage community on Facebook or call in with a response, I'd love to hear from you. So call in and leave me a voicemail at the Bossed Up Podcast hotline 910-668-BOSS or 2677. And if you're an international listener, you can also record a voice memo and send it in via email at info at bossstep.org. Next Tuesday, I want to feature your voices in response to this episode. So please call in, weigh in. I want to hear from you and I want to feature you so that we know how everyone's doing. And so we can share resources as we continue to find strategies to manage through this crisis. I hope to see many of you on this week's live online panels as well. Once again, go to bossedup.org and right there on the homepage, you'll find links to all of those panels. We'll keep that updated. And I'm really here to be as responsive as possible to you. I have some time on my hands now since all of my speaking gigs for the next month and a half have been canceled and boot camp has been canceled. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of a trying time for us here, uh, scary time for us here at Bossed Up. But we are all in this together, and I have the utmost confidence in our ability to bounce back. And hopefully, just like Liz and Brad were saying on today's episode, you know, hopefully we'll look back on these precautionary measures as essential for making this a very temporary crisis. So stay safe, stay healthy out there, stay kind to one another. And as always, let's continue to lift as we climb. 